Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. Thank you to everyone for joining us this morning. And we do want to just let all the dads know we appreciate you. I know that that is something where sometimes it's easy to feel unappreciated. Um, and so today we see you guys, we see you dads, especially those who are, are really putting in the work to be the best dads they can be. It's not easy. It's a hard job. And so we celebrate you. We see you. And so I hope that today you're able to be celebrated a little bit. We also have a gift for all the dads here. I'm not going to spoil it, but it's a gift card that may lead to ice cream. So did I spoil it? I might have. So just make sure you don't leave without grabbing that um, because no one can say no to ice cream. At least I can't for sure. And with that, I've got some, some sad news. Is we had someone lined up to give a, a great testimony this morning, a Father's Day testimony where, where it was going to be really special. And unfortunately, due to illness, we're going to have to reschedule that. So you are going to hear that testimony. It's just going to be in a few weeks, and it's one of those things that it happens. And so we're going to have to hear that in a couple weeks. And so I just wanted to let you guys know on that everything's okay, um, but we're going to hear that in a couple weeks. And so I'm going to go right into the message. If you guys would pray with me this morning. Lord, would you just help these be your words? You brought everybody here for a reason. No one's here by accident. And I pray that, that you speak to each person exactly what you brought them to hear. And Lord, I pray that what I say is accurate to your word. It's, it's, it's a good representation of who you are. And so would you guide and direct this message? In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to continue on with Colossians today. And a quick recap from last week for those of you who may be weren't here, or maybe you were here and you just forgot. That's okay. It's all right. There's no shame in that. So we talked about this idea of how we're supposed to put to death the parts of ourselves that aren't in line with Jesus. And we talked about how it's easy to read a chunk of scripture like that in Colossians and go, oh, here's a list of things that you go home and just don't do. Just do better. Do a better job at not sinning. And although self-control is important and desiring purity is important, there's a little bit more to it. And so Paul goes on to explain how putting to death is severing those parts of us that are not bearing good fruit, that are bearing the, the toxic, poisonous fruit, and to actually cut those limbs off in line with what Jesus said. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's that idea of, of taking care of basically your plot of land on what grows, what you allow to grow, and what you allow to bear fruit. And so today we're going to continue on with the next chunk of Scripture. This is Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 12 through 14, and then we're going to break it down. So this is what it says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So here we're starting to deal with this idea of how we interact with each other. 
as fellow Christians, as fellow believers, as human beings, how we interact and treat with each other. And Paul really zeroes in on this here, and he dives in, and he makes some pretty bold instructions for us, instructions that on the surface are really hard to think of being able to actually walk out. But did you know that to God, it's really important how we treat each other? You know that, that that's super important. It's easy to miss that. It's easy to go, okay, God, I'll keep all your rules and I'll try not to sin. But oftentimes we do miss this idea of how we interact with each other, how we treat each other is incredibly important. And this comes right from the heart of Jesus, which we're going to look at in a second. But find somebody who is completely averted to coming to church. Like, I'll never step foot in a church again. And just talk to him for a little bit. You know what's probably at the root of that? A Christian treated them poorly while they were at church. That's just the reality of most people who are struggling in their faith, is it comes down to this thing of how we treat each other. Almost all of them have some sort of story of being, being wronged or, or somebody treating them in a way. And so we can see the results of us not doing that. It's a lot of hurt people. It's a lot of people who their relationship with Jesus is severed in some way due to us not following this idea of how we treat each other. In fact, Jesus actually says that our identifying characteristic of whether we are a Christian or not is how we treat each other. Do you guys know that? It's right before Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. He's getting ready to leave. So he's kind of giving his final instructions to his disciples. And so you got to think, if, if you've had a handful of people that you've poured into for years, and these are like everything you have, you've given these people, and they're going to carry on your legacy, and you're, you're giving them your final instructions. This is, this is the last thing I'm going to leave you with. He says, I'm going to give you a new command. This is a new thing love each other. Now you might be like, that's not a new thing, but it, it kind of is. Because you can look back at the scope of, of religion and actually loving each other is kind of a new idea. Religion a lot of times is based on just rules, appearances, showing yourself as being a certain way. And Jesus is like, I want, I want a new thing. I want you to love each other. In fact, this is what he says in John chapter 13, verse 35. He says, By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. That's a bold statement to make, that he's basically saying, this is how people will know that you're a follower of mine. This is how people can look at you and say, that person knows Jesus, is if we love each other. And so we have to start with just understanding this is, really important. How we treat each other matters. Jesus cares deeply about this. But then the question is, so how do we get better at this? Because just like last week, it's easy to just say, we'll just do better. But the question is how? What are, what are some techniques? What are some, some steps we can take to do this? And the first thing I'll say is, learn to respond. And when I say that, I don't mean, oh, if someone makes you mad, learn to respond better. Learn that as a Christian, your actions should always be 
response actions. And the first word in this chunk of scripture is therefore. Now, some of you guys have probably heard this. I know a mentor of mine said, anytime you're reading scripture, if you see the word therefore, you should ask yourself, what's that therefore? Because there's a reason that it's there. It's referring to something else, or it's basically saying, because this thing is established, and this is something that Paul would do a lot. He was almost kind of like a lawyer in how he would teach, is he would establish something. Okay, let's get this established. We all agree. We all know this is true. Okay, now that we know this is true, now let's build off of that to something a little bit bigger. And this is how Paul oftentimes taught. And so he says, therefore, as in, because we know this, this has to be solid first. We have to all agree on this before we can move on. So what is that therefore referring to? It's referring to that we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. So he's basically saying, before you read the rest of this, before you try to put any of this other stuff into practice, the fact that you have been chosen by God and that he sees you as holy and dearly loved, it's Father's Day. Think of how a father feels when he gets home from work and his child giggles and runs up to him. That feeling, that's how God sees us, that pure love and how he views us. If, if we're not there, if, if we don't have that established, that that's how God views us, then trying to treat anyone else a certain way isn't going to work. It has to be established here first, how God looks at us. And this goes to a bigger picture of the fact that oftentimes as Christians, we feel this pressure to like make something happen. Like nothing's going to happen and, and we have to step up and we have to take the first action. But the Bible actually tells us that everything that we do as a Christian is actually a response to something that God has already done for us. And that shifts the narrative. If you're acting out of a response for what God has already done for you, if it's just simply, I see what God has done and so I'm going to respond to it versus I got I to stand up and make something happen. It's very different. This is what 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says. And this is kind of the core of this whole idea. We love because he first loved us. A lot of you guys know that verse. But that's really the core of everything. This is why we are able to love. is because he did it first for us. And so when we act, when we do something, it's out of a response of seeing and acknowledging what God has already done for us. And that's why it's so important for us to be able to say, I am chosen by God. I'm dearly loved. He views me that way. Because now as we treat other people, as we act, we do it out of a response of what he has done for us. Because most of us know Jesus would have had to have done something for us for us to be able to acknowledge that God sees us as holy and dearly loved, right? Jesus had to have done something first, which we know he did. And so once we understand that, once we can truly look in the mirror and say, I am loved by God, I'm dearly loved, he sees me as holy, He's, I'm chosen by him, we should want to respond to that, right? There should be a, a desire to say, I want to do something, I want to respond. And so what is a good response to that? What is the correct response to really knowing that someone like me, as flawed as I am, 
all the ways that I fall short, all the ways that God could hold my debt against me, he sees me as chosen and holy and dearly loved. How do I respond to that? And this is where Paul goes, treat each other differently than you normally would. That's, that's a natural response because when you know how God sees you and what he's done for you, to, to start to treat other people differently starts to make sense. This is where it says, I'm going to read it again, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. I'm going to I'm going to just come out and say it. Do you know that other Christians are going to annoy you, right? Don't raise your hands. But other Christians are going to bother you. They're, they're going to be frustrating. They're going to rub you the wrong way. And that's even if they don't do anything wrong. Because God made us all different, right? If you look at the scripture, he says the body of Christ, which that's what the church is, where a body is made of all different parts. And anytime you have people who are different having to work together, it gets frustrating because you don't see things the same way. You might have different priorities. You might have different ways of going about things. And so the fact of the matter is, is even if no one wrongs you, they're going to annoy you and they're going to frustrate you. And that's part of being in the body of Christ is you have to bear with each other. And that's kind of step one is even if, even if no one wrongs you, they're going to annoy you and you're going to have to be able to deal with that. But again, it helps when you're acting out of a response because I got to assume that to a holy and perfect God, I am frustrating, right? And I think each of us could say, say the same thing. How we act oftentimes could easily frustrate God and yet he bears with us in all of our imperfections. Even though he is perfect in every way, he bears with us. And so we can bear with each other. But now here's where it gets even harder because even if other Christians don't wrong you, they're going to annoy you and frustrate you. But guess what? They are going to wrong you. That's just the reality is that other Christians are going to wrong you. They're going to mess up. They're going to do something that hurts you. And so not only do we have to be ready to bear with the frustration and annoyances of just people being different, we have to be ready to forgive when they actually wrong us. And now is where we're getting into the place where people can actually see us and go, that person must know Jesus, right? Because in order to have the way that we treat each other cause people to stop and go, wow, they must know Jesus. There's something different about them it has to be pretty hard what we're doing, right? If it's easy, everybody would be doing it and it wouldn't identify us as Christians. And so the fact that we're ready to forgive when we wrong each other, that's where we're getting into some true amazing territory where people can see us and go, whoa, something has to be different. But again, this has to come from a response of knowing how much Jesus forgave you, right? And that's why a few weeks ago when I gave my testimony about being a prodigal and I said, don't count out the prodigals because they know what they've been forgiven of. This is a biblical principle of the people who know what they've been forgiven of, 
are much more likely to forgive other people. And this is a teaching of Jesus. And I'm going I'm to bring you to Luke chapter 7, but I want to prep this a little bit. So Jesus was invited to a house of a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were the kind of religious leaders of that time. And they hated Jesus. And they were trying to trip him up. They were trying to find a reason to, to slash his reputation. Because the problem was, he was teaching opposite of them, but he was doing miracles. And amazing things were happening. So they couldn't tell the people there was nothing there because things were happening. And so they would like invite Jesus over to their house try to pretend like they were friends, and then they would try to trick him, try to trip him up, try to get him so that they could say, see, this guy you shouldn't listen to. So, so he's, at, he's at the house of a Pharisee. And, and what the text says is that there was a woman who was a great sinner. It's not really what you want to be known for being great at, but she was, she was literally known. She, she was that person that as she walked through town, people would be like, oof. I'm staying away from her. Like she was literally had a whole reputation in that city as a sinner. I mean, imagine that being your whole thing that you're known for. Like I'm known for some things that aren't my favorite, but I definitely am not just strictly known as, man, that guy sins. But that's literally who this woman was. And Jesus had such an impact on her that it says she came and she washed his feet with her tears. So you got to process the humility of this because to wash someone's feet was the humblest job you could do because as you were walking down the road, they were wearing like sandals. So there's dirt, dust. They don't have asphalt like we have. There was also donkeys and things walking down that same road and donkeys sometimes do stuff on the road, right? That you might step in. So this is a super nasty job that the lowliest servant was forced to do. Now imagine doing that with your tears, crying so much that you have enough tears to actually wash someone's feet. And it says that the Pharisee goes, if Jesus knew who that person was, he would never let her touch his feet. So you got to put yourself in these different mindsets. Put yourself in the humility of the woman who washed his feet with her tears and then put yourself in the mindset of someone who could see someone crying so much that she could wash someone's feet and saying, man, if Jesus only knew what she'd done, he'd kick her right out of here. The different places of the heart. Can you feel those different hearts in that? And so Jesus says, I'm going to tell you a story. Because even with the Pharisees, Jesus is trying to get them to understand what he's here for what he's doing. And so he says, imagine that there were two people that owed someone money. One person owed them 50 denarii and the other person owed them 500. Now, a denarii was basically someone's wage for a day of work. So if you worked all day for somebody, and at that time, usually if you did labor for somebody, at the end of the day, they would pay you each day. So it wasn't like at the week, it was like, hey, you worked for me today, I get paid. And so a denarii was kind of that like, a full day's work. So one person owed, you know, a little under two months money, and another person owed a little under two years money. So think of what you make in two months, and think of what you make in two years, and that's a pretty big difference of having a credit card debt of one versus the other, right? But it says that neither one of them could pay it back. 
They were both at a place where they couldn't pay it back. So the person who they owed the money to just said, I just forgive both of it. Neither one of you can pay me back, so I just forgive all the debt. And so Jesus asked this Pharisee, who do you think was, was more greatly impacted by this forgiveness? Even though neither one of them could pay it back, even though they were both in a place that they, they couldn't pay it back, do you think that one person was more impacted by it than the other? And the Pharisee said, probably the one who owed 500 denarii would, would be more impacted because even though neither one of them could pay it back, they understand that they were forgiven more. And Jesus was like, yeah, you're right. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 7, verse 47. He says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And this is kind of philosophy that Jesus says. And, and the sad part is, is that they should both have been impacted because they both couldn't pay it back. And that's the tough part of being in that, that, that part of like, well, I needed Jesus to die for me, but I didn't sin as much as this person. You're in a really weird spot because you still needed Jesus just as much as the other person. But somehow you're able to hold back that little bit of pride of, yeah, but this person's worse. And this is where you get that heart of a Pharisee is when you're there. And I will say all of us, no matter where we're from, have been forgiven enough to have the heart of this woman at the feet of Jesus. The question is whether we're going to receive that and acknowledge that or whether we're going to try to be that Pharisee to say, yeah, but I wasn't forgiven as much. I needed Jesus, but man, that person needed him more than I did. What a weird mindset. But this is where we fall into, and this is the mindset that's going to really make it so that you can't treat each other the way that we're called to treat each other. Because it's really from that place of humility, of knowing what you have been forgiven of, that that love just comes out for each other. You don't have to force it. You don't have to convince yourself. You just simply know what you've been forgiven of, and it flows out of you like the tears of this woman. And there's a key word there that we have to look at is love. It says, as her great love has shown. And what's really interesting is if you go back in Colossians, it talks about over all of these virtues. It talks about humility and compassion and all those things. It says, over all of those, wear love because it binds it together. Love is kind of like the binder. Now, one of the shows that Leslie and I love to watch together is a show called Guy's Grocery Games. Does anyone else watch that? Okay, I've got one at least. It's a, it's a cooking show. So whether you watch Chopped, whatever, there's a hundred of them. It's this idea that they take chefs and they put them in these circumstances where they got to try to cook a good meal, but there's some kind of limitation to it where they've got to try to work around something. And there was one episode where someone was trying to make meatballs, but they couldn't get any eggs, which is not a good situation, those of you who can make meatballs. I don't know that much. Leslie usually has to explain to me what's going on in the shows because I don't even know eggs go in meatballs. I'm like, what? So apparently eggs are kind of the binder of it. So they try to make an adjustment. They're like, maybe if I add more of this, more of that. So they make the meatballs, they put it in the deep fryer, and it just disintegrates because that binder 
is such an important part. You don't think about it. You don't think about how important it is until you don't have it and everything falls apart on you. You see, and that's, that's kind of the, the, the thing that's great about food is that the combination of flavors coming together, that perfect bite of, of onions and garlic and meat and all those things, and the binder is, is what, what allows you to have all of those at once and hold it together. And without that, things kind of fall apart. And that's what love is, is we need all of those things. You need to have humility. You need to have compassion. You, you're going to need all the fruit of the Spirit if you're going to treat each other in a way that, that Jesus is like, yes, that's what I want. But love is the thing that holds it all together. Without love, it all falls apart. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is what we call the love chapter, right? It talks about love a lot. It says what love is. It says what love isn't. And really, love is all of those things used at the right time because there's going to be a time to be humble and there's going to be a time to be compassionate and there's going to be a time to even be assertive. There's going to be a time to correct. There's going to be a time to do all those things. And one isn't right and one isn't wrong, but love is that unifying of all of them. That's where it says love is patient. Love is kind. All of those things. But in that chapter, it talks about all the things that you could do right? You could, you could prophesy, you could speak in tongues, you could change the world. And this is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. It says, if I give all I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. In fact, it actually says that when we do things without love, it's like a banging gong. So I used to play in a band when I was a, a teenager. In fact, I'm pretty sure I have permanent hearing loss because when you're 16, you're invincible, right? Nothing's ever going to matter. But I played bass, and so I was always by the drums. And, and there's a reason that we have a cage around the drums. You know why? Because cymbals are really loud. And when you're right by it, if someone hits that cymbal as loud as they can, it just goes into your ear and it karate chops your brain. I, I don't know how else to explain it. It's so abrasive that it's like you can't enjoy it. You can't handle it. You know, you step back, you put a cage over it, and it's, we got amazing sound people that make it sound so good, and you can enjoy it. You can embrace it. But what the Bible tells us is that if you do something without love, that's what it's going to feel like. You can try to be humble. You can try to be compassionate. But if you act, even if you do it just right, right, even if you give everything you have, but you do it without love, that's what it feels like. And so love is that binder. And so if I, can, if I can wrap all this up for you as we close, I just want to make this all hopefully make sense. Is number one, when, when you know how God sees you, it changes how you see other people. And so if you're struggling to treat other people a certain way, it's probably because you're struggling to fully believe how God treats you and sees you. And so you're kind of reflecting that back on people. But when you truly understand that you and all your faults in your past and everything you've done are seen by God, that he chose you, you're holy, he loves you. He looks at you like a father looks at his child. That's going to change how you view other people. And so 
You're going to have to have all the fruit of the Spirit if you want to treat other people well. Because like we said, they're going to annoy you and they're going to wrong you. And that's going to be part of the deal. But if you want to be able to do that, it has to come from a response to knowing what God has forgiven you of. It has to flow out of you like the woman washed Jesus' feet with tears. It just came. She didn't have to convince herself to cry. It flowed out of what she knew, what she understood. And love is what binds it all together. If we can't do it with love, it's not going to matter. So that's our takeaway today. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray over our offering. And then we're going to do announcements. Lord, thank you that you have forgiven us. Thank you that we can look at you and say, you view us as loved, as, as dearly loved. You view us as holy, that you've chosen us, that you've, you've pulled us out and set us on a very special place. And Lord, I pray that this understanding of, of our forgiveness, of your love for us, translates into us responding by, by loving each other. Lord, and, and, and true love, not pretending, not acting, not just trying to look a certain way or say the right thing, because God, those things, they fall apart over time. But Lord, that we truly love each other, which is all sorts of things, all the fruit of the Spirit combined and put together, Lord. And I just pray that, that we can do that from a place of joy and gratitude, not out of a place of obligation, not out of a place of fear, but out of a place of excitement that we get to respond to this amazing thing that you've done for us. And so, Lord, would you give us the strength? Would you show us once again the immensity of your love for us and your forgiveness for us, Lord God, so that our love for others can flow from that? Lord, I ask you this week, you give us an opportunity to love in that way. And Lord, we do pray over the offering. I pray that you bless those that give. Lord, that, that you give us wisdom on how to use it, that you multiply it, that your kingdom is advanced, Lord, with this, this money that is given. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.